Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Success in Finance. Joining me today is Terry Reynolds. Terry is currently Senior Finance Practice Manager at RPC Law Firm. Um, So he's going to talk us through his career to date. He went straight into work out of school, um, sort of worked his way into the legal space, starting out with Linklaters, undertook his uh, SEMA qualification whilst progressing to assistant financial analyst level before transitioning over to RPC where he spent the last six and a half years and as I say worked his way up to senior finance practice manager now uh, where he adds a lot of commercial value and insight from a finance perspective. I hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget to subscribe, share and comment. Thanks for listening. Hi, Terry. Thanks for joining me on Success in Finance this week. How are you? Yeah, not a problem at all. Looking forward to it. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, very good, mate. Uh, Good to have you on. Um, So, yeah, do you want to get us started with a a quick sort of whirlwind summary of your career to date, and then we'll go into a bit of detail? Yeah, not a problem at all. Happy to do so. Um, So, I have been in the legal sector for about 11 years now since leaving school. Um, so I, I left school pre A levels and without going to university um, in a search for sort of finance related jobs, and landed at uh, Linklaters in the cashiers team there. Um, to date, I've worked only in the legal sector for Linklaters and my current company RPC. Um, at Linklaters, I started in the cashiers team, uh, moving through a handful of different roles there before making the transition over into the sort of practice analysis side of things and you know financial reporting and so forth. Um, it was in that same space that I transitioned over to RPC um, about, I think, five and a half years ago now. Yeah, so it'll be six years in December. Um, so, yeah, made, made that transition over. And, and during my time at RPC, I've kind of stayed in that space in a number of different roles that I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about later. Um, Away, away, away from work to an extent. I've studied both AAT and SEMA in my time during my career as well. So hopefully that's a bit uh, a good sort of whistle stop tour as to uh, my career to date. Yeah, no, very helpful. Um, thanks for that, Terry. So, so I guess going back then, um, you you mentioned that you went straight into Linklaters out of school. What what was the reasoning for that? Because I think you, uh, when we've spoken previously, you mentioned you, you had sort of strong academic background, um, but but decided to to skip out uni. I know it's not for everyone, but yeah, what was the reason? Yeah, that's right. So um, yeah, post GCSEs, I'd done sort of relatively well throughout school and uh, and in GCSEs as well. Um, but for me, I, I generally had no clear idea of what career path I wanted to take. And having sort of looked and considered the A-level route, it dawned on me really, in my opinion, that A-levels were very um, were very guided at getting a place into university. So if I was to go ahead with A-levels, it would have probably been, probably been A-levels and university as well. Um, so I didn't really see the point of sort of going, you know, doing A-levels and then taking a bit of a, um, making a bit of a twist at that point. So it was either A-levels and uni or have a look out into the um 
into the sort of work working world, so to speak. And that's exactly what I did over the summer after GCSE. So I was set up to go back to um, sixth form and do my A-levels. And I think I did for about five or six weeks in the end. But I was I was super keen on getting into the um, getting into the city, um, getting a bit of work experience. And I also noted that a number of these sort of junior finance opportunities at the time came with the benefit of potential study support. And that was just something that that really attracted me because it gave me that pretty clear, specific learning that would be relevant for both the job that I was doing at the time and the future as well. So yeah, it was just the ability to go and get both um, qualifications and exposure to working. Um, so that was really what made my mind up for me. And when they when, when an opportunity at a firm that prestigious and of that size cropped up, it was it was difficult to turn down. Yeah, no, no, it sounds like it was a, a, a thought, thoughtful process then. And um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, were, were you, you, you said you were quite keen to get in the city. You must have been, what, 16 then if you'd, um, you didn't even, I didn't even realise you hadn't actually done A-levels as well. So that's pretty young to be going into the work world, that, even at 21 mm-hmm. or yeah, 21, almost 22, I felt pretty young and, and fresh. Yeah. So how did you find that? Yeah, it was, it was a very quick learning curve and experience. You're right, I was 16 at the time. Um, I mean, it was always relatively, you know, felt relatively older in my age, uh, so to speak. And yeah, but it was a very quick learning experience, to, to be completely honest. I mean, in some respects, that was that was part of the reasoning be- behind it, because that working experience the whole communication piece and even those sort of basic office skills that you pick up in any role or your first role whether you're 16 or it's your first role at 30 in an office those kind of skills were were ones that I see as pretty integral and really important and we'll come on to speak about that a little bit later Um, but yeah you know it's certainly a daunting experience to some to some extent but having said that I think colleagues and people around me recognized that it was you know that it was my first job um i was very very young um would need a little bit of nurturing and a little bit of hand holding and uh you know colleagues and um people that i worked with whether that was the recruiter that that placed me in that position were were very helpful along the way so yeah it definitely felt like jumping in at the deep end a little bit but as i said i think everyone does that whether they're 16 or 21 when they go to the working world. But um, no, certainly support, communication and the rest of it um, helped me along the way. Nice. And then I can imagine you sort of taking it in your stride, being sort of quite a bit younger than everyone else. But is there anything specifically that you'd advise other people looking to do the same? Or do you think generally people that that are willing to to make that jump at 16 are generally the sort of character that, that can deal with it anyway yeah I, I think that's right I mean put it this way you, you know you still have to go and have an interview and the hiring person or the hiring manager doesn't say oh well they're 16 let's give them more of a chance than someone who's 21 yeah. so to some extent you know you have to prove yourself or have to prove your ability at that interview anyway so what I would say to people that are sort of keen on making the jump even if they feel young in doing so is you know, do, do your best to interview and no no one hires you thinking, you oh, know, they're 16, let's, get, let's give them a go rather than someone that's 18. In yeah. truth, hiring managers and colleagues are looking for someone that's capable of doing the job, 
because if they don't hire someone that's capable, then they're likely to, you know, spend much more of their time training or or taking the burden from that person who isn't able. So, you know, but be confident in your own ability, um, be confident in your ability to do the job. And, you know, people never hire you feeling sorry for you. It's it's hired on merit. So, um, you know, if, if you do get lucky enough to get that break and get that position, it's because you were the best candidate and, you know, you were the one that the hiring manager sees most fit for purpose. Nice. Yeah, no, that, that all makes sense. And um, so, yeah, you you got the offer from Linklaters. What mm. we, were you quite focused on the legal space and finance within the legal space or was it you knew you wanted finance in that specific qualification and therefore were willing to explore mm. I mean what was sort of the the filtering down yeah t- t- to be truthful Danny there was no focus on the particular sector that I would go to work in um, finance was always the kind of space or the area that I was keen on just because of you know part of the subjects or strong subjects that I'd uh, that, that I'd done throughout school um, but it was a pretty broad net that I cast when I started to look for roles in the city um, and yeah no there, there was there was no real tie towards legal finance I didn't know a huge amount about it um, there was a couple of interview offers I think at the time um, if my memory serves me rightly one in the legal sector and there was a couple of us in different sectors um but you know as soon as you get those kind of interview opportunities you're researching the companies online and well i hadn't heard of Linklaters to be completely honest before i went to interview there but the uh i was kind of blown away when you step into their offices and do a little bit of research online so so that certainly aided in the choice um i guess you know to taking the question slightly differently danny as opposed to did you choose the legal space? I guess what I did choose was to continue in the legal space throughout my career. So it's, you know, it's only been 11 years or so. There's certainly scope to change sector over time. Um, but where I've made a bit more of an informed decision is to stay within the legal space, uh, you know, obviously for a handful of years at Linklaters, but then also making that jump um, across to RPC. So particularly at a time where, you know, you're studying and whatever else, you know, that first move might be one where you, where you decide to go and broaden your horizons, get a little bit of a different um, a, a different sector experience. But, but I was quite firmly, uh, you know, I was, I was of a quite a firm opinion at that point that I was keen on continuing in the legal space um, and particularly on the analysis side. And that's just because of my experience at Linklaters, I felt there was really an opportunity to influence behaviours um, I felt that the challenges of the work vary and differ day to day pretty significantly. Um, and I also found, which is one of the parts of the job that I've continued to enjoy, that financial advice is really well received from non-finance professionals. Um, and there's a high level of satisfaction associated with delivering financial insights to those with a non-financial background. You know, the ability to add value to numbers, the ability to view things via a slightly different lens. It's all received very well. Um, and yeah, they were really some of the driving factors that uh, that led me to seek further opportunities in the legal space. Cool. Um, so so then going into Linklaters, I know we've, we've touched slightly upon what it was like being 16 in, in your first job. So the, the job itself then, um, you went in as legal cashier assistant and, and gradually moved up the ranks, accounts receivable senior, and then sort of more of a finance analyst type role. What yeah. what sort of things were you doing? Who were you working with? And, and how did you find it really? Yeah, so two of the three roles that you've mentioned there, 
sat within a cashier's team of five at Linklaters. Um, so I can't remember the exact makeup, but broadly a supervisor, client account, account receivable senior assistant, and then sort of an overall team manager responsible for both cashiers, but AP as well. Um, in my first role there as the cashier's assistant, it was it was a real sort of junior role, to, to, to be honest, uh, general sort of admin, you know, from things like uh, opening the post that would come into the cashier team, uh, ensuring that that was shared out accordingly. Um, other things that I got involved in, you know, general sort of mailbox monitoring. So the cashier's team had a mailbox, filtering those queries out to the appropriate person, whether that was the sort of client accountant or the accounts receivable senior at the time. Um, other things, I guess, included the client account payments, actually ensuring that those were approved so they would be prepared um, and uh, you know relevant approval signatures obtained by the client accountant. But I would then be responsible for sort of taking that out to, uh, I think it was partners at the time that actually approved client payments. And I know that's developed over time, but just uh, liaising with those partners to, to sort of get in front of them and get the get the accounts, uh, get the payments approved on the bank accounts, um, which was a pretty interesting task at 16, you know, going to taking over a load of paperwork to uh, to some of the senior partners at Linklaters. It was a real eye opener. Um, yeah, other things, sort of bank runs and things like that. So if you receive payments either into our client account or for our bill, sometimes uh, at that point I guess less so now checks are still being used so uh, daily bank runs and things like that um, so that covers off the main roles and responsibilities as a cashier's assistant um, moving into the accounts receivable senior role which as I said was still a part of the same team just effectively uh, a move up into uh, a specific side of the cashiering so stepped away a little bit from client account uh, assistance and focused on the accounts receivable senior side of things. Um, there I was responsible for a lot of liaison with credit control. So it was at a real high level, the overview of office account receipts and allocating those accordingly. So as I say, a lot of liaison with credit control, just to ensure we had the relevant remittance advices, applying payments correctly, dealing with overpayments, dual payments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was a processing team based in India, Pune in India, uh, that I was responsible for liaising with because they uh, they were responsible for actually keying those receipts and those transactions onto the system. Uh, but it was also in this role that I started to get an insight into things like the client account rules and you know how to deal with those, what was necessary to hold money on client account. Uh, and also to consider some old balances and things like that as well. So whilst I wasn't at the forefront on the client account side when I stepped into that role, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of crossover in terms of the the sort of, I guess, the admin of the client account side, uh, ensuring that people were abiding with the relevant rules, uh, looking into old balances and clearing those off where possible. Um, it was from there that I moved sort of into my first role that I think is pretty uh, related to the role that I do today um, and a lot of this was sort of driven by me having started to study by this point yeah. so I opted to start studying AAT because I as I said I didn't have any A-levels and you know starting from uh, perhaps a more junior qualification felt the right way to go about things I was in no sort of rush to you know part qualify qualify so that that seemed like a logical start point and obviously as you start to do some of that study it's it's all about accountancy generally as opposed to you know specific to cashiers so it dawned on me that there was other teams within finance where perhaps their work was more 
uh, more aligned to what I was studying. Therefore, I applied for an internal opportunity to transfer across as, a, an, as an assistant financial analyst um, that sat within the practice analysis team at Linklaters with the, I guess, the overall goal of the team being able to assist partners both in you know reporting generally understanding of kpis production of management accounts etc etc budgeting processes and so on um, and in my role as the assistant financial analyst there um, this was my, my general role was really the, the responsibility for the production and delivery of regular reporting whether that be standard reporting daily weekly bi-weekly monthly and so on um or whether it be just general sort of ad hoc reporting you know can you refresh this can you build me a report based on this etc um but it also gave me a real insight into the whole sort of business cycle in terms of planning and analysis really so whilst i wasn't responsible for doing the budgets they were sort of fed fed back to me um and I, you know, keyed them into the relevant system areas, but it gave me sort of a real insight as to, oh, that's why you budgeted like that. And here, here's why we're performing like we are. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I was the, uh, you know, the person delivering that message, but certainly lended a helping hand in doing so. One of the other things in my career that I really sort of tie to this particular role, and it's not specific to the role, um, but it was something that I developed significantly here was, uh, was real Microsoft Excel development so you speak to a lot of colleagues or people that I liaise with regularly they often come to me for a little bit of Excel advice whether it's reporting specific or not and it was really in this role that I sort of got into the nitty-gritty of Excel and started to sort of develop into what I think is a relatively advanced user of Excel um, so it was in this role that I started to really understand and learn about the functionality or the ability of Excel and started to started to have fun with a few of the formulas and all the rest of it um yeah so i think that was that was about it for my time at linklaters yeah no there's a few points i want to sort of go back to on what you covered there so mm. firstly how and i know it, it probably got more intense as you went on and moved to rpc but how do you find the um studying for the a aat alongside work yeah um it was very supported so you know as soon as people were clear or as soon as people were aware that that was something you're doing in fact it was encouraged to be completely honest so it was very supported by the firm you know along the lines of you know the ability to sort of leave early to attend college classes to take study leave to take your exams and all the rest of it and it was you know you know it's generally people were very understanding of the fact that you were studying alongside a full-time job um so at both firms that i've been at you know i'm grateful for the people around me that supported me during that time uh having said that of course you're still doing a full-time job and you're still um you know studying alongside that so um it isn't uh you know it isn't it isn't easy i'd be lying if i said it was but what i think sort of probably really helped me at the time danny to be honest at the age that i was the majority of my friends were uh, either at uni or studying their a levels um and you know you don't have many ties away from study so one of the best things i ever did was you know qualify um qualify SEMA, qualify as an accountant pretty much at a time not long after or in some cases before my mates had graduated so um that really helped me along the way because in some respects i just wasn't missing out on a lot of life um and didn't have you know a huge amount of ties still live with parents you go to college and you think oh blimey you go out to work at eight in the morning get home at nine but it really wasn't that bad when you get home at nine and you know dinner's there ready for you on the table 
Um, yeah. So that that certainly helped and just the ability to sort of get your head down and bash through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, to be fair, it is a good point because I um, I went and, and did the ACA straight out of uni and you're still in that mindset of studying. Mm. So yeah. you're just like, well, yeah, I'm used to giving up my weekends to crack on with work. Um, yeah. So you just you get on with it and get it done. And I don't know what it was like for you, but also I had sort of an intake where we were all in it together. So you'd even you you probably didn't have that actually no no yeah a little little bit different for me I think your first point that you make is is a real good one you know being in a mindset of still studying so I not long before done GCSEs and obviously you're required to you know study and revise for those in your own time so that whole mindset thing is a massive point you know if I if I considered now picking up a book to perhaps go on and do a different accounting qualification or a related qualification or you know just something professional services related it's much more daunting than it was at a time where I was fresh out of some kind of other other study so I think that mindset really helps uh yeah you're right um I I wasn't sort of you know uh, as a lot of people who perhaps qualify in practice they're taken on as a perhaps a group of people and there's people that you can liaise with and, and put heads together with so whilst that wasn't the case at Linklaters and you know there wasn't colleagues that were in the same boat I guess what was appropriate was being able to see people at Linklaters that had studies and how they developed into different roles so that was definitely a motivation but also the people that I went to college with to be honest uh, a lot of those were in similar risk positions whereby they'd just finished their day at work college in the evening etc etc so um so you know if other people can do it then I thought there's no reason why I can't yeah exactly and the other thing you mentioned was um you started studying and the stuff you're studying covers all the finance you were focusing mainly on sort of cashiering types of things at the time mm. and then you alluded to the fact that you sort of drove that move into a more analytical role how important is it to proactively drive your career like people aren't going to present these opportunities to you unless you seek them out as far as I'm as far as I've seen um would you sort of agree with that oh yeah definitely I think you have to yeah proactive is a word we'll come back to later in uh in in this chat Danny but yeah I mean it's like all walks of life isn't it no one is going to put anything on a plate for you generally speaking so you know you have to drive those relationships with people you have to be proactive about it rather than sitting back waiting for people to to, to do things on your behalf. So, yeah, it, it really is key. It's really important. And I think if you don't do it, you know, speaking pretty black and white, I don't think you'll develop or progress perhaps as quickly as you do if you do do it. So, yeah, um, extremely important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a real necessity, I think, for, for people that are keen to develop and progress yeah no, absolutely and then just finally going on to your point about the becoming an advanced user in excel and um, i've spoken to a couple of clients recently where i just think the the importance in those sort of commercial analysis roles we're just going to see sort of finance and data merge into sort of one area going forward and yeah. the more you can do with excel and uh, i'm not sure if you started doing coding or anything like that but those sorts of skills are just going to become invaluable in getting useful information out of big big data sets effectively um but what sort of thing is it that you're doing at the moment you say you're sort of the go-to guy for excel what what can you do in excel yeah i mean 
go-to guy over time. I've probably hopefully passed a lot of knowledge on to people that I work quite closely with, set up things that make it pretty automated uh, as opposed to manual. So I guess the the, the sort of range of the skill set, uh, you know, formula-based uh, things are uh, uh, something that I'm you know, pretty strong out, obviously, all the basics of VLOOKUP, HLOOKUP, some ifs, some ifs, um, you know, the ability to sort of index match formulas and things like that, which are which are actually really useful. Uh, the ability to sort of cut data sets, not based only on a row or a column, as you can do with VLOOKUP or HLOOKUP, but the ability to do it based on both. So envisaging like a matrix data set whereby, you know, you're, you've got a, a row headings and columns and you kind of want to find something that that matches your row and column that's invaluable um so yep you know uh, advanced on the formula side of things uh, in addition to that you know pivot table use the ability to kind of cut slice and dice data in many different ways and present it in many different ways um so i think i think they're the main two and probably the two that i use most and have also sort of shared with people um in addition to that i've got some relatively basic ish but sort of slowly slowly increasing uh, ability on the sort of macro side of things so you know the amount of time that things like that save even if it's just you know once you've finished a piece of work um ensuring it fits on one page the titles are uh are glued so that where people scroll you know the titles won't move freeze the panes i think it's called um you know if you've got a macro just to sort of format a workbook after every workbook that you finish before you share it so that it's delivered in a nice way the amount of time that saves you over a day a week a month and a year it's um it's phenomenal so yeah developing and slowly sort of gradually getting into a little bit of that macro space as well cool no sounds good um no just just curious so for for people looking to sort of develop and get ahead of the game before they get into the finance world they're the things to focus on um yeah. but yeah so four years at link laters um what then caused you to move on to RPC was it a conscious decision to leave did the opportunity arise or yeah I mean it was definitely it's always a challenging decision to leave the only place of work that you know um you know again by this point I was sort of only 20 21 and to be making pretty sizable decisions like that um at that early stage or that that young age is 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 really significant um one of the real drivers for, to leaving rpc for me uh, to leaving for rpc was really the size of the firm to be completely honest so link is is you know really really big um by way of revenue but also by staff numbers as well and i was finding as i progressed through my studies so but by, by this point i just started sema so i excuse me finished um aat but just started on sema and i was really finding that studying sema was a, a big step up from aat uh, and that there were things that i would be sort of resident expert on because i did them in my day-to-day -day role but there was things that i just generally didn't know nothing about and i didn't really have strong relationships with the people that at link Laters that were that were responsible for these kind of things so you know let's make an example a fixed asset register um that was done by the sort of central finance accounting team at link laters they sat three floors away um and you know i didn't have overly strong relationships with with those people so if that come up in in college or as i was studying it was a little bit difficult to get real life example of of that which was often useful when studying because you know it just helps the understanding so a lot of the reason for the move was the size of firm and the ability to get an overview of finance and also develop some relationships with 
you know a finance team so you know we're, we're a team now of about 40 or so in finance and it was probably a handful less when I joined so we all sit in the same area the ability to sort of pick up a college book and say look have you got five minutes just to run me through this in real life uh you know really developed and now, even without speaking to colleagues the, the the need for an overview and a bit of a wider understanding in a small firm um definitely exists so so that was definitely a a driving factor in the move um, you know that there was also opportunities uh, at RPC that attracted me to the role. You know the ability progression sometimes a little bit easier in smaller firms. You know there's there's less kind of people in the queue if I can uh, if I can phrase it like that. Or you know you're working with relatively senior people from from sort of day one, even in the more junior roles. Um, so that was something that really sort of appealed to me, having had that you know stepping stone of Linkmaters moving on to sort of a smaller firm where you were a little bit of a bigger fish, I guess. Um, was something that really really interested me cool um so do you want to sort of talk me through your your progression at, at rpc over the almost six years you've been there now then obviously went in in a similar role to what you were doing and then sort of moved up the ranks yeah i've just noted i think it's it's close to seven years my maths is that, well that's what i got written down but then yeah. you said six so a bit, bit of a worry isn't it you really? probably know better than i do but uh, apparently not <laughs> bit of a worry for an accountant um but to be honest danny if it's not in excel then 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 i uh then i then i get a little bit lost so uh yeah it's six and a half years coming up to seven um so i i transitioned across to rpc as a financial analyst so um you know, a relatively direct uh move from what i was doing at Linklaters, but you know slightly different team structure a little bit more senior and some more sort of responsibilities there um as i progressed through that role i continued my SEMA studies um you know, doing those alongside the work. So, you know, what I was used to at Linklaters. Um, but as I mentioned, there was a more broad view of finance in this role, even though the roles and responsibilities that I'll come on to in a moment were very similar. There was a much more broad requirement for understanding of finance and how it operated at RPC. Um, and, you know, it was very easy to grasp that because you could look around the people in the close proximity to you and say oh yeah they do that they do that and they do that it was just a lot easier to sort of get my head around and understand um the role at rpc also had the ability for exposure to more senior stakeholders um so you know senior members of finance i was you know sitting next to them regularly speaking with them uh, and you know even even from early on some direct liaison with uh, senior lawyers and and partners as well in terms of the roles and responsibilities, they, they hadn't differed too significantly, but there was definitely scope for them to do so. So, you know, regular reporting, both internal and external that I've that I talked about in Linklaters, um, but with that external added part as well. So responsible for sort of feeding into client, um, client reporting, client border rows and things like that. Uh, general sort of ad hoc mailbox monitoring. So ad hoc queries that could range from things like uh, financial supporting promotion cases through to you know generally delving a little bit deeper into a team's performance and so on so yeah pr pretty broad range of general sort of reporting requirements in that financial analyst role uh, at RPC. Nice um, but yeah so then once you sort of nailed that then you progressed to sort of business manager yeah. um, and fpa manager and, and now senior finance practice manager mm. um what what sort of changed as you progress through those roles and what are you doing differently now to what you were doing yeah. then i imagine much more 
senior stakeholder exposure. Not to say you didn't have it in that yeah. first role, but uh, yeah. Yeah, there, there was definitely a taste of it and a glimpse of it in that first role, but that is the most significant change over the last you know five years or so. Um, it really is that senior senior stakeholder exposure and business partnering piece. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, so SEMA definitely helped me, Danny. Um, I, I qualified, uh, you know, a couple of years into my time at RPC, and that certainly held me in good steads. Um, as I moved into the business ma manager role, this was my first real direct interaction and business partnering piece. So not to say my first real exposure to to the business or, or to partners, but it was the first real time that I was responsible for the interaction perhaps between finance and the uh, and you know particular partner team um, and that was a part of the role that I grew to sort of really enjoy and continue to enjoy to this day uh, I talked a lot earlier on about the ability to uh, the ability to influence decisions and this was where it really kicked in that I that I could do that so as a business manager I started to get involved not just in the reporting that was sort of you know kept and, and done by financial analysts but it started to be actually delving into reports and trying to add value into those reports so not just sharing numbers but what are those reports showing the recipients what are some key high level um high level points that that we want to share with the partners here or we want to share with senior stakeholders here as opposed to simply sending out and saying please find a report attached so really sort of got into that mode of trying to add value to everything that we delivered um i was it was also my first direct uh, involvement in the budgeting process. So I mentioned that I sort of inputted it and understood it previously, but this was my first involvement in those budget meetings, you know, uh, hearing senior finance folk um, challenge partners to say, you know, why that, why this, do you, do you realize the knock on and what that does for X, Y, and Z? Um, and that was really interesting. And, and then things just started to develop from there, to be honest, because once you've got an insight into why a person has budgeted like they had, you've then got the beginning of a meaningful commentary because you can compare to the budget and bring up the notes and reasons to why someone budgeted like they did and why there might be variances against that. Um, so yeah, budgeting work, regular reforecasting. Um, you know, what, why is it slightly different to the budget we did three months ago? Um, and as I say, you know, just back to more real trying to sort of add value. So we started to deliver a little bit more bespoke reporting, key client type reporting, um, but also started to really add in some commentaries into uh, into the work we was doing uh, as well you know, uh, management account delivery, not just here's your management accounts, but here's some key key areas that I might advise that you look at and here are the reasons for it. Yeah. Um, a handful of other things that, that we started to really first get involved in there was was a whole pricing and pitch support piece. Um, so that, that brought some sort of valuable insight, knowledge and experience as well. Um, Moving into the FPNA manager role, and one thing that I should say that was quite relevant to my business manager, FPNA manager, and senior finance practice manager roles at RPC is um, we, as a finance function, had really started to develop and uh, produce better reporting capability. So whether that was just building uh, new reports that we could easily run at the click of a button rather than spend half an hour in obtaining them, um, or whether it was, you know, uh, 
a project that I was somewhat involved in, but was led by others. We, uh, you know, we we bought out a new budgeting software um, that allowed us to do exactly that budget and forecast. But it also became the place that we ran our regular management accounts from. So it was really it was an interesting time and a good time to be able to start to add value because what a basic request when I joined RPC may have taken an hour to get the data, just pull the data together, pull it from different places, uh, you know, check through it because there was a lot of manual intervention and deliver it. Um, whereas during my time as a business manager and perhaps more so as an FP&A manager, one of the real development points that I was keen to keen to drive as a, as a lead of that team was to add value to what we were delivering, not simply deliver it. As I say, the the infrastructure that we had in place allowed us to do that because something that previously took an hour or so to get was now taking five minutes to get. So with that additional time, what I was trying to drive into the team was to add insight and value to that. Um, and that's something that I, you know, uh, is probably one of my biggest achievements to date to change the culture of requesting information from finance, certainly finance reporting areas uh, and the way in which people feel like they need to deliver that. Um, FP&A manager role specifically was, you know, at that point, there was a little bit of a slight restructuring uh, of the finance team. But uh, if I can put it pretty briefly, that role was effectively an overseeing of the two previous roles that I'd done. So it took on board the whole business partnering piece, budgeting, forecasting, pricing, regular exposure, and generally a, a, a contact between the business and finance. Uh, but it also had, you know, uh, two or three analysts reporting into me, um, therefore overseeing the regular reporting, client, internal, et cetera, et cetera, mailbox monitoring, ad hoc queries, and so forth. So so a pretty broad role. It was the first role that I'd been in where I was re uh, responsible for team members. Um, so a little bit of a change in insight to not just the doing of the work, but also um, you know the overseeing of it and developing developing of people as well to to start to to start to um you know, help them along in their career as well. Um, more recently, and as recently as December, so six or seven months ago, uh, I stepped into a senior finance practice manager role uh, at RPC. So uh, RPC has a new FB&A manager role. Um, and really the difference in this role or what I do day to day now, Danny, it's a much more non-BAU focused role. So non-business as usual. Um, it focuses much more on uh, transformation type work, uh, improving processes across finance, but with, you know, still a fair bit of an, uh, a view on the whole business partnering piece. So what can we do differently that will make the delivery of information to you guys meaningful? Um, and what do we need to sort of invest in and running with a lot of those projects to ultimately create the new normal to an extent? Um, so something that I've been pretty busy with over the last couple of months is the, uh, you know, the installation, production, enhancement, development of a new sort of dashboard based tool. Uh, that we hope over time will become the go-to for regular financial information, both for our fee owners, but also uh, support staff as well. Um, yeah, so it's as I say, yeah, uh, a lot of the a lot of non-BAU stepped a little bit away from what's, yeah, as I say, a, a big achievement of mine making BAU regular conversation, rebudgeting, forecasting, regular commentaries, regular insight, and so on, and now stepping into stepped into a role that um, allows us to initiate or mold what the future might be for for finance at rpc 
nice so now highly commercial by the sounds of it and and a bit more project based so sounds good um no thanks for talking us through that transition um so in, in terms of the legal finance space what what do you see as sort of upcoming areas of focus yeah um it's a good question an interesting one not least because of the sort of global pandemic period that we've just came out of i don't doubt that that or not just came out of hopefully coming out of um i don't doubt that that changed the dial slightly sped a few things up perhaps dropped a few things off that we felt were important and were not but you know generally speaking for for a little bit wider than finance actually i think technology development is going to be absolutely crucial to any law firm over the next however many years and obviously within that there's a huge crossover with finance so for finance specifically you know considering what technology we need to be able to deliver our jobs in a way that is you know almost like a firm of the future so to speak so uh, that may be you know dashboard tools on mobile phones when people are on the move or ipads or whatever it might be Uh, it may be the ability to raise billing guides and share bills you know uh on an automated email system or something like that you know so who knows where it will go but i think that will certainly be a focus um more finance specific i think there's going to be or there is and will continue to be much more focus on pricing and delivery value for you know the delivery of value for money for clients so how can we demonstrate that what we're delivering is real value for money um how can we demonstrate that that's better than the Uh, the law firm next door um, and all the rest of it so I think that's going to be a real focus area for law firms and you know um, certainly something that I'm really keen on being a part of Um, other things you know processes generally in the reduction of admin time as we uh, you know as firms continue to look to ultimately increase their profit margin um, but in a market in particular areas that there is pressure on price what potentially we need to do as a business services department but finance as a part of that is to reduce the admin and burden burden of admin on our fee owners so how can we consider better processes to do that um other things that have sort of been banding around for a little bit longer are things like the flexibility of budgeting and reporting the last 12 months have shown us that you know uh, a budget that we submitted yesterday is out of date by the end of today because of perhaps external factors so um, you know, I do see a time where potentially there could be a move away from the standard 12 month budget or the standard financial year in some respects. And we work with rolling forecasts and things like that. Um, and then there's the ongoing challenges that consist in sort of all legal finance teams, you know, the ongoing reduction of lockup and the value of that to a firm. So, yeah, certainly a relatively interesting time to to be a part of a legal finance function. Yeah, lots of change uh, that you're envisaging. So, so yeah, exciting times ahead. Um, well, just before we start to wrap up then, Terry, um, mm. what advice would you give to aspiring finance professionals? Yeah, I, I mean, if let's keep this relatively brief because, you know, uh, to make it a sort of takeaway for people effectively that people can focus on. Two things, ask questions and trust yourself. So I talked about trust yourself earlier. Um, if you don't trust yourself and install confidence in yourself, that will that will come out. People will be able to see that. I mentioned that when I joined Linklaters. If I wasn't the, the best candidate for the job, they wouldn't have hired me. So I had to trust my ability to go and deliver that job to a level that they expected. Um, so trust yourself in the work that you do. 
um, you're the finance expert when you're liaising with, with with lawyers. So so trust the information that you're delivering, uh, even when it is to the most sort of senior stakeholders and senior partners of the firm. Um, and yeah, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I I asked ample questions, uh, and that you know. There's you only uh, what's the saying? Uh, it's a, it's only an easy question if you know the answer, uh, and if you don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. It will often assist the person you're asking the question of in the long term because you know you, you don't do things wrong. You don't uh, you know they don't end up having to correct the the mistake that you've made. So asking questions not only assists you but often ask the person you're often assists uh, the person you're asking the question of. So yeah, ask questions and trust yourself in the work that you do. Perfect. Love it. As you say, nice and brief. Uh, and finally, the three key attributes that have enabled you to have the success that you've had so far. Yeah. Um, and again, some of these come back to some of the things we've talked about previously. So number one, a willingness to learn. Um, so I, I've never done and I still do not know everything. Um, and, and that's not a problem. There's not anyone out there that does and anyone that pretends to, uh, you know, it, they're, they're pretending exactly that. Yeah. Um, but what, what I like to think that I do is to make it a goal of mine to learn things that I do not know uh, and provide a service to people, even if it's via others. So I was on um, sort of an away day thing the other day, um, and there was a comment from someone who said, uh, you know, you, you can be a doctor, but you can't be a brain surgeon. And it kind of dawned on me a little bit because what it was trying to say was that was the path that you would take to a brain surgeon. You'd go to your doctor first, but you wouldn't expect your doctor to perform that surgery. And in some respects, you know, particularly on the business partnering side of things, you're that doctor in, you know, that, that consultant type piece and people come to you and, they, you know, they don't expect you to know everything. You don't have to know everything uh, off the top of your head and be able to say it if you're in a face to face meeting. Go away and find it out. Go away and learn about it. Um, and that just generally allows you to, um, you know, that willingness to learn, to continue to develop, develop your knowledge, starts to get you into a place where all of a sudden you start to know a lot more and, and are able to, to, you know, answer some of those queries a little bit quicker. But, you know, willingness to learn and a service attitude. The second one that's absolutely key and crucial uh, is communication. Absolutely everything relies on communication, you know, from the point that you interview to actually performing the job, whether that's performing the job, working with your colleagues or working with your clients, effectively the people that you deliver to, uh, communication is absolutely crucial throughout it. Um, you know, you, you, can, you really can be the best candidate for a job, but if you cannot communicate, there's no point. Um, I've hired before, I've hired in the past, and you know, whilst you obviously want people to have the general understanding and experience that suits the job, um, you know, I, I personally value the ability to communicate higher than that because that was the point of knowing it and keeping it to yourself. So uh, communication would definitely be my second key attribute. And I like to think that that's something that I've uh, done really well over, over uh, you know, or in my career to date. The final one that has really helped me develop and held me in good stead over time, and it's something that we, I think, touched on previously, was proactivity. Um, so, you know, particularly if you're looking to add value, particularly in the roles that I've taken to date, a lot of it is about the ability to look into things that perhaps others wouldn't or to add value perhaps when others aren't even looking for it. So, you know, something looks odd in a pack that you're delivering. Um, what's the point in delivering it without adding insight into why it might look odd? Uh, you know, um, you know, there's been a particular incident that's going to affect a particular client. Uh, you know, wh why not deliver that before before the outcome? So the skill of proactivity is, you know, it's one that it's almost difficult to 
teach but once you've grasped it it will take you a long way because people love receiving things generally if it's information they don't necessarily know and haven't necessarily asked for um, so yeah willingness to learn communication and proactivity lovely stuff um, no that's been uh, been great Terry to hear about your your career so far get a few insights from you so um, really appreciate your time yeah not a problem at all pleasure to speak as always Danny thanks a lot So that was Terry Reynolds. I hope you enjoyed listening to Terry's story. Really interesting to hear about the challenges that he faced going into work straight out of school and how he overcame those, uh, the challenges of studying alongside a full-time job. And really great to hear the three key attributes that Terry mentioned in achieving his success to date. So those were a willingness to learn and always applying the mentality of a service attitude, uh, communication, whether it be at the interview to get you a job or throughout your day-to-day performance of the role and then proactivity so always being proactive in what you do making things happen rather than waiting for things to come to you as always don't forget to subscribe share and comment Um, i hope you enjoyed the episode thanks for listening